welcome to Manners and Madness, the Jane Austen and David Lynch podcast. You may wonder, why would these two great artists be the subjects of the same podcast? Do Jane Austen fans care about David Lynch? Do Lynch fans like Austen? Perhaps there is a certain crossover appeal. I personally love them both and find myself returning to their work time and time again, but don't worry if you don't care for one or the other, we'll be exploring them each separately. So what we will do is have a Jane Austen episode and then a David Lynch episode, and we'll take our time and cover as much of their work as possible, from Jane Austen's Juvenalia to Clueless, from The Grandmother to Inland Empire and everything in between. We appreciate both the light and the dark, and we want to celebrate both. My name is Maya Adkins, and I've been a fan of both Jane Austen and David Lynch for the last, I don't know, 27 years or so. But I'm not doing this alone. My co-host has only a passing knowledge of Austin and Lynch, and I'm so excited to take him on this journey with me. By the end, he will either love or hate one or both of them, and I'm really hoping it's love, Christian Cabrera. Hey, everyone. <laughs> uh, I have a, like she said, very limited <laughs> knowledge of Jane Austen and David Lynch. I would say I was probably introduced to David Lynch maybe even two years ago at the most, and I mean, I've always heard about Jane Austen, but have never read any of her books. So <laughs> it'll be pretty exciting. And have you ever seen a Jane Austen adaptation or movie? Well, you've I, seen Clueless. I've seen Clueless. I mean, who yeah. hasn't at this point? But that's probably the only thing. Oh, would you say point. your David Lynch is mostly Twin Peaks related? Yeah. yeah. I don't think I've seen any of his movies. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> have you seen all of Twin Peaks? Uh, no, I think I've seen season one and some of season two. We ha- I haven't picked it up since, so... <laughs> It'll be pretty interesting to pick it back up, and hopefully Dave Lynch people don't hate me. Oh, hopefully no one hates us, because we're only here to celebrate and, you know, explore their work, so we're excited to go on this journey and to bring you with us. Um, I just want to explain a little how we intend to set up the podcast. What we're going to do is we'll do uh, Jane Austen episodes, where we'll cover her work, and then we'll do David Lynch episodes, where we cover his work. There might be a little bit of crossover because obviously we're looking at both, so it's bound to color our view of the other. But I don't want Jane Austen fans to think, oh, more David Lynch talk, <laughs> or David Lynch fans to go, oh, I hate Austen. She's so whatever. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, and since this is a new podcast, We want to make it as enjoyable to all of our listeners as possible. So we would love for you to contact us on Twitter or Gmail and let us know what you like or if you have any suggestions. Um, Twitter handle and Gmail address to be announced later. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so our first segment is called First Impressions. And I wanted to ask Christian, what was his first thoughts upon seeing the, oh, you know what? I never even mentioned what we were <laughs> like, watching. Are we going to announce it? <laughs> um, so we'll be doing, today's episode will be about the 1996 movie, um, Emma, uh, starring Gwyneth Paltrow. Yes, got to be specific because there's two 1996 <laughs> Emmas in the world. <laughs> Say, uh, starting this podcast, looking at literally all the Jane Austen stuff, there are too many adaptations (laughs) at this point well my personal opinion is that there can never be too many jane austen adaptations 
I know that, you know, some people I'm sure have their favorites and don't like others because they're more or less like the book or, you know, certain things that could just annoy fans. But I personally can just watch them endlessly. I've watched every Jane Austen adaptation so many times, even the ones like the 70s Sense and Sensibility, which is not the best <laughs> I'm gonna say of all of them that's probably my least favorite but even that one I come back to I swear if there was a streaming service that was all Jane Austen adaptations all the time I would be so happy <laughs> so <laughs> there's never enough but the one we're covering today is the one with Gwyneth Paltrow so let's get a few facts about oh I should say my first impressions yeah when did you first see it my first time seeing this movie, let's see, I, it was 1996, it was a very, it was in the summer of 1996, so I was transitioning between high school and college and playing Eduani in Oklahoma, <laughs> <laughs> very exciting time, um, I don't think that I saw it, I was not a huge Jane Austen fan at the time, I had seen Sense and Sensibility and read Pride and Prejudice, and that's probably about the extent I liked her, but I was not a fan at that point. Okay. So I guess probably within the, uh, probably a couple of years before I saw it, and I don't think that it really has stuck with me as one of the great adaptations, but it is certainly a very cute one, and it's really mm -hmm. fun to revisit because it's definitely got all the comedy that you want from a Jane Austen, which some adaptations are lacking a little in. Yeah, I agree. <laughs> <laughs> From this movie. <laughs> okay, so let's I'll give you a few facts about the nineteen ninety six Emma. The Miramax production. The tagline was <laughs> Oh god. Cupid is armed and dangerous. <laughs> exclamation point <laughs> oh, okay <laughs> i mean there's the one scene with the arrows i guess yeah which was she's slightly dangerous to the hearts of harriet smith that's about it <laughs> yeah, I, say, I don't think anyone died besides did anyone die in this movie oh uh, well i mean frank churchill's aunt dies but we don't i would say we never meet her barely even mention her so exactly no one <laughs> but it might as well be no one yeah <laughs> Um, the cast includes Gwyneth Paltrow as Emma, Tony Collette as Harriet Smith, one Yay. of my favorites, Alan Cumming as Mr. Elton, which is kind of shocking when you see him there, you're like, Alan Cumming, I was, yeah, I was not I was expecting you in this role, but I kind of like it. Very shocked. <laughs> We've got Ewan McGregor as Frank Churchill, uh, Jeremy Northam as George Knightley, who I really like in this as well. Me too. Um, Greta... Oh, I'm going to say that wrong. <laughs> Scotchy <laughs> as Mrs. Wested, Juliet Stevenson as Mrs. Selton, um, Ju ooh, Polly Walker, Jane Fairfax. I guess we probably don't need to go through the whole cast. <laughs> yeah, I think maybe like the major players. Yeah. Um, it was written and directed by Douglas McGrath. And just a little bit about him. He started out writing for SNL, which... I saw that when I looked at his IMDb. <laughs> I was shocked. I mean, it's it was a funny adaptation, but I don't know. It's like... You would not have thought someone from SNL would have wrote this. I don't know. At least I didn't. Yeah. Well, I mean, you can kind of see there's a few, like, tricks that... And there's certain scenes where there's a lot of business that is very funny, and it just feels like, oh, I could see this being, like, a sketch. Yeah, I know. totally. Um, he also 
wrote and directed a movie called Born Yesterday and Bullets Over Broadway with um, Woody Allen, which he was nominated for an Academy Award for. And then Emma, and he's done a couple movies since then, Company Man, Nicholas Nickleby, and Infamous, but not a lot. I mean, I think he's working on something, or he did recently, like a TV mm-hmm. show, but surprisingly, because this got a lot of awards, or, you know, at least was nominated for a lot of awards. Oh, really? Um, he, he said, Mr. McGrath, um, he read Emma when he was at university at Princeton, and he thought it would make a great movie. So after he did Bullets Over Broadway, he used his, you know, momentum from his Academy Award nomination to get this made at Miramax under Harvey Weinstein. (laughs) (laughs) Seems like there might have been some weird shenanigans. Like he said, okay, but Gwyneth has to be in this other movie first. I didn't really go into that because I don't really care at the moment. (laughs) (laughs) Say whatever. He can, you know. Um, he said uh, the, the director originally wanted to do a modern adaptation a la Clueless, but he didn't realize that Clueless was already being made. So oh, I think wow. that is why he changed it to a period piece. Um, that would have been really weird. Two, Two modern adaptations. Cluelesses coming out right after each other. <laughs> <laughs> um, he said that he cast Paltrow and he knew that she could pull off the accent when he heard her doing a perfect Texas accent in Flesh and Bone, a movie that she was in. I've never seen. I, yeah, I've never heard of it, but what an interesting... Uh, I know, I mean... She did a Texas accent well, so I bet she can do a British accent. I mean, I can do a Southern accent, but I cannot do a English accent. <laughs> yeah, well, we'll talk about her accent later, because I had some thoughts. <laughs> um, okay, so the, the role was originally offered to Nicole Kidman... Okay. And Diane Lane, who both turned it down. Okay. I don't know how old they were then, but I think Gwyneth is pretty good age to play Emma. I'd say they're probably all around the same. Apparently, also, Jolie Richardson and Jenny Garth were also considered, which I think would have... I don't know if that would have worked. Maybe. Who knows? It's the 90s. (laughs) I only know Jolie Richardson from I'll Do Anything, which is a universally panned movie that I love. <laughs> <laughs> and Jenny Garth is from 90210, right? Um, well, this may shock listeners, but I've never watched 90210, <laughs> so I have no idea about any of these people, except for, obviously, Nicole Kidman and Diane Lane. Christian is a youngin, <laughs> compared to me. Um, oh, here's a piece of interesting casting trivia. Mrs. Bates and Miss mm-hmm. Bates are real-life mother and daughter. Oh. And they were, their casting was supposedly a complete coincidence. They wow. have different last names, and they were like, you know, nobody knew until they were both cast. But here's a really interesting part. They are both mother and sister of Emma Thompson. What? <laughs> I know. Really? Oh, and um, just keep an eye out. I know this is our first one, so we're not going to really get into crossovers yet because you haven't seen any of the yep. other ones but sophie thompson who plays miss bates mm-hmm. um she had previously the year before been in an adaptation of persuasion which is another jane austen there is a okay. lot of crossover in jane austen adaptations <laughs> so we'll see her again it's very strange <laughs> um ewan mcgregor did not think he did a very good job in the role he mm-hmm. was just coming off of train mm-hmm. spotting and he um 
was just looking to branch out and do something different, but I guess. Yeah, something <laughs> period, I guess, maybe. Um, he also did not like his hair. His wig. I, I'm going to go ahead and agree with Ewan McGregor. <laughs> the hair was a wild choice. <laughs> There's something about that, like, curly, long hair that everyone always has from that time period that's just, like, looks a little too flimsy to... well, it was clearly a wig like it was they were not trying to hide that wig at yeah. all because i mean well he didn't need to have long hair because mr knightley didn't have long hair and it was just so weird yeah, they weren't exactly period accurate with the costumes or anything else so okay yeah because we'll we'll talk about the costumes later because i have so <laughs> many questions about these costumes oh, good um okay there's only a couple more things oh alan cumming also did not care for his hair well, I, that might have been his real hair, but I couldn't really figure out whether that was a wig or not. I mean, I have no eye for that sort of thing, but he didn't mention it. Gotcha. Um, also, Gwyneth Paltrow had just gotten wisdom tooth surgery before the filming, so they actually oh. delayed the filming for a month so she could recover. And during wow. that time, she learned how to horseback ride and all sorts of other stuff that she thought Emma would want be it you know be doing although she doesn't horseback ride at all no she's in she, carriages the whole time yeah, she, dri <laughs> she drives a carriage <laughs> um tony collette gained weight for the part because the description in the book is that she is short and plump <laughs> oh, okay i mean didn't even notice but <laughs> yeah i mean gwyneth paltrow looks so thin mm -hmm. but everyone else i think most everybody else looks pretty like a normal person you know yeah. Oh, I mean, I wouldn't say, like, normal, but, like... I mean, there are some definitely beautiful people in it, but... Yeah. I don't know. I was, like, a little impressed that it wasn't just, like, parade of beautiful faces. It felt like, oh, there's real people who live in this yeah, town. Yeah, they weren't trying to be, like, let's cast only models. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Let's see. It was... Here's some awards. It was nominated for a Writers Guild of America Award for McGrath and a Scripter Award for McGrath. Um... Gwyneth Paltrow won a Satellite Award for her Best Actress. Um, Ewan McGregor won the London Films Critics Award, so obviously not everyone felt the same way as he did. <laughs> Maybe they really liked his singing. And he's here's my singer. favorite. Um, original score won oh. Rachel Portman, okay. and she was the first woman to win an Academy Award for original score. Oh, wow. Yeah. The next year, Anne Dudley won for the full Montley. The <laughs> full Monty. Oh, okay. <laughs> Even I know that's not the correct title. <laughs> but to this day, they remain the only two women to have won that award. I would say I'm shocked, but... Yeah. I know, it's kind of sad, but it's like, well, we're winning, and we won again, and... Oh, never <laughs> They probably thought, oh, you've got two. We can <laughs> wait another, what, how long did it start? Like, 100 years? Yeah, right. Um, I actually bought the CD... And I've been listening to it, and it's really great. I love the music mm -hmm. from it. It also got nominated for Best Costumes, but it did not win. That's shocking to me. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. I can't tell if you're being serious or not. <laughs> no, I'm being serious. Okay. Uh, that was really shocking to me, but we could talk about costumes in a minute. Okay. <laughs> um, the, the woman who did design the costumes was Ruth Myers, and she said she did not want the costumes to have a heavy English look. But she, you know... That at the time period that this was all taking place was kind of when the romance movement was blooming. Mm -hmm. So all of the paintings from the time period have implied movement and body underneath the like the the clothes. So okay. she was really trying to get that look. Trying to get the heaviness of like 
big gowns and stuff out. Right. So okay. you can really see the bottom body underneath. Yeah. That's understandable. I started to write down some of the dresses that were in other things. And then I was oh. like, oh, no, there's just too much. So the only <laughs> one I wrote down was that Harriet wears a dress that is also in Northanger Abbey, Mansfield Park, and Sense and Sensibility. Whoa. <laughs> but there are a ton of other costumes because, well, I don't know if this had anything to do with the BBC costume department, but, well, I don't know. <laughs> I guess maybe we'll find out as we go along in this podcast so exploration of ours. Never know. <laughs> Um, okay, so then there was one other thing. Oh, um, oh, well, it's got 84% on Rotten Tomatoes, which is pretty good. 7.1 out of 10 average. That's pretty good. Most of the reviews I read were pretty good. Um, Roger Ebert didn't really like it. Okay. But he also went on about how Persuasion was so great, which is a movie that came out right before. But as far as I can tell, it wasn't even a real movie. It was like a TV movie that somehow got released mm. as a movie in America. You can't. You put in Persuasion on IMDb, it does not come up with that version. Oh. <laughs> so I was like, that's interesting. But And then um, comparing it to the novel, there was a book mm-hmm. written called Jane Austen in Hollywood by Nora Nachumi. And she thought that Gwyneth Paltrow's star status as Emma mm-hmm. made her seem less humble at the end. So I wanted to get your take on that. Um, yeah, I could see that. I mean, I... The whole thing about this movie, I had like a bunch of questions about Emma because it feels like this was obviously like I could see how he wanted to do a modern portrayal of Emma and much like Clueless because it didn't feel like the characters were of that time for the most part. I felt a lot of characters were very modernized in the way they talked and the way they acted. Yeah. So I, f- I can see how she's, it's to me she came off like, Emma came off like a little bit like bratty and not like a 22 year old (laughs) well i mean she is supposed to i think yeah i'm sure i wrote this down somewhere but jane austen when she wrote it before she even wrote it said i'm gonna take a heroine whom no one but myself could much like and i think she she's trying to show her flaws right throughout the story you know her version of it well they're all her version i guess yeah you know the original (laughs) version um but I don't, I mean, at the time that it came out, Gwyneth was not a huge star. This was her first leading role. Okay. I mean, she was, uh, she was well known, but she was not a star. She wasn't, yeah, star status. And I can see now, you know, with Goop and everything, looking back and being like, you know, bringing all of your Gwyneth Paltrow feelings into mm-hmm. it. But I think, she, you know, watching it the le- for the past week, I feel like she does come across as kind of humbled at the end but yeah i think um, what i'm realizing about this movie is the way this one is portrayed is that there's not really any like there are real like no real stakes at all in this movie really like no serious ones um a lot of it is just like oh we want them to be together oh they're not together sorry (laughs) like the only real high stakes were when the like nomadic people like attack them for two seconds (laughs) and i was like that was the only real danger the rest of it seemed very like lighthearted, and so i feel like for the way like the story went since there were no real serious stakes then she's not going to have this grand humbling moment yeah well and jane austen most of her works are about you know women and their Mm -hmm. small lives and the stakes don't seem high except for to them although i would say that emma probably comes across the most breezy of all of her work because okay Emma is just so, you know, she just takes everything in stride and mm-hmm. she's 
so rich and she doesn't really have a lot of problems. It's more like she's causing everybody else. Right, problems. she's kind of meddling in people's <laughs> She's lives. kind of got high stakes for Harriet, but you know we don't explore that in this movie at all. It's very yeah. like, <laughs> it's, it's very breezy. It, I would it's say it's very concerned with Emma and Knightley, and you know her trying to get Harriet and Elton together. Yeah. But most everything else kind of falls by the wayside. It just it's so interesting to me that and I'm like stuck on this that he tried he wanted to do a modern version like Clueless because to me the way this was set up was so similar to Clueless where she was, you know, it seemed very like teenage, like frivolous, like, oh, I want them to be together and like matchmaking. And that was like the most like offensive thing was that she like, you know, oh, I told you this person was interested and they're not. Sorry. Right. Well, I mean, Clueless is actually considered to be a fairly good adaptation of Emma. Oh, I so. love Clueless. Yeah. <laughs> and, 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 yeah. I'm like seeing this and then comparing it back to Clueless. Like I see a ton of similarities, like yeah. a lot. And we will definitely get to Clueless someday, don't worry. But I just want to introduce Christian to all of them, you know. Yeah, all the new stuff, really, yeah. to me. <laughs> <laughs> um, do you want to hear what some of the other adaptations are? Like, how many other adaptations there are? <laughs> <laughs> Maybe we should go through, like, top, like, five. Like... Okay, I'll just say that 48, 54, 57, 60, two 60s from 1960s, mm-hmm. there are live adaptations done that okay. are all presumably lost to time because oh. I don't think we'll ever be able to find any of those. In 72, there was a, a miniseries, which I do have. So we had the 1996 adaptation with another 1996 adaptation with Kate Beckinsale, uh-huh. which is an ITV version. And then in 2009, there was a four-part BBC slash masterpiece version with Romola Gary. Gary. There's a couple of web series. There's several books that were kind of um, uh, fan after. I don't like know. Fanfic almost. Yeah. So it's after the story ends. This is. Oh, okay. Or from a different perspective, like Jane Fairfax perspective of Emma. Oh. <laughs> um, and there's also a manga adaptation. Oh wow. Yeah. start on our recap so we start we open up on this blue screen kind of reminds me of blue velvet which is the next movie we're doing right um it's a paper mache i believe earth that emma has made and it's spinning it has the credits and it introduces us to all the places that are um in highbury and all the residents and their homes and we end with Hartfield and Emma herself. And we find out as we open that Emma has made it for her former governess, Miss Taylor, who is now Mrs. Weston, on the occasion of her marriage. And what is a governess? Because <laughs> I have no idea, but many listeners don't know either. I, well, I, it's like a teacher. I think it was mostly for girls back in the day because they didn't have uh, schools. But they... Almost like a mentor, but like also with... And education. a nanny, kind of, as well. Because uh, <laughs> uh, I know Mr. Weston, or not Mr. Weston, Mr. Um, Mr. Woodhouse. <laughs> <laughs> I know Mr. Woodhouse didn't have a wife to help raise the kids because right. she died in childbirth. So I imagine Mrs. 
Miss Taylor at the time came in when they were still young and taught them, finished them, quote unquote, um, you know, taught them drawing and taught them how to comport themselves in public and what are the rules of society and all that sort of stuff. Gotcha. So like modern day, like rich people, nannies. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> where their parents aren't involved. I, I think that during the time parents, or at least the parents Jane Austen writes about, are very hands-off yeah. parents. I mean, these... <laughs> Children should be seen and not heard and often bustled away to a, a small room upstairs. Gotcha. <laughs> yes. And Emma seems very happy at the beginning, but you can tell that she's sad because she's going to miss her friend who was probably her really only real companion besides Mr. Knightley for her whole childhood. (laughs) Right, like her closest confidant. Exactly. Um, And Mr. Knight, uh, Mr. Woodhouse doesn't seem (laughs) to be very happy because he can't be happy for any changes in his world. (laughs) Just a scared old white man. (laughs) He's very concerned about people eating cake. Um, (laughs) And of Mr. Knightley right off the bat is like, oh, well, we're practically brother and sister, and that's going to come around to bite him later on. (laughs) Right. Emma is congratulating herself at the very beginning that she's the one who set up this wonderful match between Mrs. Weston, previously Miss Taylor, and Mr. Weston. And so she's she's happy about that, um, even if she is sad that she left. And... She's moving her sights on now to set up her next <laughs> victim, <laughs> Mr. Elton. Which, if he was going to be a victim, I would be super happy because he is pure evil. <laughs> I do not like him. <laughs> the minute we got to him, I was like, this is the villain of the story. <laughs> He's awful. Yeah, and being played by Alan Cumming, it just kind He's of amazing. almost lends himself to that <laughs> feeling. <laughs> um, she's picked out the perfect person for Mr. Elton, Miss Harriet Smith. Queen. Queen Colette. (laughs) Exactly. I love her so much. Um, So we go to, I guess, like a dinner party where Miss Bates and Mrs. Bates get introduced to us. Um, What was her name? Oh, it doesn't matter. Sophie. Sophie Thompson. I wanted to say, yes, Sophie Thompson. You're very correct. Sophie Thompson. We meet Sophie Thompson, Miss Bates, and her mother, Mrs. Bates, and... They're very funny in this scene. She's just so happy to be at this event. <laughs> she's just smiling so much, and she just looks like she's on the verge of tears. <laughs> Seriously, she was freaking out. <laughs> I feel like there is not a dull moment in that woman's life. No. She's always out of ten. Exactly, and she'll tell you every minute detail about it. <laughs> uh, we get the intro of Mr. Elton to Harriet, which is so awkward and (laughs) (laughs) gracious, I suppose. He's, I mean, he just, as soon as she introduces him, she, he looks straight to Emma for approval. So, you know, we can kind of tell already that maybe things aren't quite what they appear. (laughs) They're not going to go Emma's way, probably. (laughs) Exactly. Um, Then we, while we're at the dinner, Mr. Weston tells Harriet and the whole table about how he just got a letter from his son, Frank, who everyone is so excited to hear about. Um, He's been sent away because his mother died to be raised by his aunt. And he's not allowed to take Mr. Weston's last name or see him. It's, I don't know. They don't really go into it in the movie, but. So odd. (laughs) Yes. Um, And then they all pass around the letter at the party, which 
I just love that little detail of each little group reading this letter. It's their form of entertainment for the evening. They're all going to take it in a little group and read the letter and all comment on how well it's written and the penmanship <laughs> and what a warm spirit he must have. <laughs> it's like, he's an adult person. He should, yeah, he should have good penmanship and sound like a coherent person. <laughs> Precisely. But I guess, yeah, good job. <laughs> oh, and at one point while they're doing that, they go to Harriet and I believe it's Mrs. Goddard, who we only really see for this one scene. She has one line. And she looks so familiar to me, but I looked her up and I could not figure out where I would know her from. But she just kind of stands out because she's got this kind of deep, she just seems like a real actress in the scene compared to like... <laughs> compared to the, like everyone else? Yeah, I mean, it's just such a light scene, but she has this deep, lovely voice and... She seems like intense. Yeah, but you never see her again. <laughs> no. <laughs> no. Um, but that's who um, Harriet is living with, right? Yes. So yes. she's mentioned a bunch more in this movie, but like she apparently is only for that scene, and they were like, you can go home. Exactly. I don't even know if in any of the other versions, or even in the book, if Miss Goddard has very much to do. I don't think she's hmm. a huge part of either of them. But um, the real important thing that happens at this, besides Harriet meeting Mr. Elton, is Harriet meeting uh, Emma and their friendship Yay. blossoming. Dynamic duo. We start the Emma Harriet love story, as I like to think of it. That's the Emma <laughs> that I would like to see I'm writing the screenplay. <laughs> Keep an eye out. I know. I heard somebody, or I, um, that Los Culturistas podcast you listen to. Yeah. Uh, one of the frequent guests, Joel Kim Booster, I, you know, I might be misquoting all the way, but there is a uh, queer Pride and Prejudice interpretation that takes place on Fire Island that has just been picked up to be made so <laughs> keep oh, an eye out for future that's episodes. exciting. <laughs> Something I'm very excited about. Yes, I love it. Because he's very funny. New interpretation. Yes. Especially a, a very modern one. I <laughs> <laughs> say one that I don't think has been done before. <laughs> no, but I'm excited to see that. Um, oh, and so we uh, are starting the Harriet and Emma love story and they're out on the street getting to know each other, you know, talking about their lives and uh miss bates shows up and they hide behind their umbrellas because they don't want to get sucked into a conversation with her which is very <laughs> funny it's the first time emma mentions that when pressed she just describes jane fairfax as elegant because she can't think of anything that's the only descriptor exactly um and they're walking through the forest and emma's being a super snobby right as mr martin shows up and uh, Harriet is so delighted to see him. She's just, how do I look? And she's giggling <laughs> and she's just, she's so cute. And she giggles at everything he says. Now we're on to the lawn scene mm -hmm. where they're both sitting under a tent and stitching away at their needlepoint. And I think this is a great scene between the two of them. They really have great chemistry. And I really like the way it's filmed. It's like circling them uh -huh. and it makes it feel very like a tennis match. Like uh, they're, yeah, I could totally see they're that. trying to, you know, volley things to each other. Right. But it's more like uh, Emma is hitting the ball and Harriet's just like, what? <laughs> has her back. <laughs> Am I supposed turned? to do something? Harriet's more just like, oh, don't you want to tell me how much you like Mr. Martin? And she's like, no, I'm no. going to tell you how much <laughs> you are going to like Mr. Elton. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> you were not supposed to like Mr. Martin. Exactly. Oh, and after that is when we start 
doing the painting. Mm-hmm. Which <laughs> which is one of the funniest scenes to me in this whole movie. <laughs> I, I love those scenes so much. Yes, that is where I wrote down, Mr. Elton is very smarmy, and Alan Cumming is really pulling that off. Yeah, I was going to say, that's definitely a, like, a shout-out to him, because he definitely plays the, like you said, smarminess, and just, like, I wrote down Mr. Elton is pure garbage at this point. <laughs> I hate him so much. I wish he would fall into the lake and <laughs> never come back up, because he is just so disgusting in the scene. I hate him so much. I know, and he just never redeems himself after uh, this point. He just keeps not. getting worse and worse and well, worse. Well, he deserves his fate. That's all I'm going to say about that. <laughs> but I thought it was so funny how, <clears throat> when she's painting uh, Harriet, and he comes over and he's like, this is the most beautiful thing I've ever seen. <laughs> and we get a shot of it, and it's it might as well have been a stick figure at this point. Like, it was five lines on a page. Yeah. <laughs> it was shocking to see how just awful and stupid he is. I hate him Yes, so he's like, oh my god, it's amazing. And it's like, um, she's barely drawn ahead. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it is like, uh, I just don't understand. I guess maybe status and like, like monetary value is very important. Well, he just important. really wants he wants Emma because she's rich. So yeah, it's like but he's being snobby about Harriet not being rich, but you know, like, oh, I don't need to to go to her level, but really he's just as bad, you know, because he's right. like trying to climb the social ladder by getting Emma. Yeah, well that's what I was saying, like I just like Emma, why, why are you trying to continue and set up your friend Harriet with him? Because clearly he is garbage. Like, <laughs> he is awful. And I know, like, status and wealth are important at the time. And But I just was like, ugh, why would you even hang out with him? Well, you know, in that way of smarmy people who are so obsequious that it's like, if someone compliments you enough and is nice enough to you, it's yeah, hard to so. think of them as... Being bad, awful. you know? Yeah. <laughs> at least when you don't really have anything specifically bad to think of them and um we get the great mr woodhouse line of oh, oh dear please put a shawl on her she looks like she'll catch a chill yeah. <laughs> you're like you can't even look at a painting of a woman without a shawl without worrying for her life so which... i yeah i was like you need to go away aren't you a little too old for this time period anyways well i think like and again this adaptation does not really pull it out but i mean his wife died right when he had two young daughters and he's like one of the only characters who doesn't send his children away when his wife dies. Um, So I think he's kind of a hypochondriac. I think he's just afraid of everybody Uh, dying. Yeah. You know, so he just doesn't want anyone to die. So he's like, put on a shawl, don't eat cake, stay in your house, don't go out (laughs) anywhere. (laughs) I feel like if he had like, if he was like a modern day person, he would definitely be a hoarder and someone who (laughs) would go out maybe once a year. Or just a complete recluse. He'd be like, I'm just going to stay in my study. Exactly. (laughs) I thought that was so funny, that whole shock comment. Like it clearly seems like it is summertime (laughs) or some sort of, because I know the seasons change pretty quickly, but I know a lot of British, uh, adapted things seem to not really specify the time lapse. And (laughs) so this is what I always think when I'm watching any of these, like period adaptations is these men are wearing coats, jacket, I mean, vests, shirts, pants, hats. And the women are like in the shortest sleeves. They have (laughs) no coverage on the top half of their body. And I'm like, either you're extremely hot or you are freezing. (laughs) Exactly. And aren't the men wearing stockings too? (laughs) Because their feet are completely covered. I mean, the women have a lot of internal 
warmth probably yeah. with all the corsets and Jesus. stuff, but still. Um, yeah, and also Mr. Knightley comes in for a second at the end of the scene, during the scene, just to be like, just provide a good contrast to Mr. Ellen, where he's like, no, you're doing it, Fran. She's too tall. Yeah, it's like, <laughs> okay, clearly these men are stupid. Exactly. Dumb, dumb, dumb. So then we get our first proposal. Well, the first one that we get to see in real life, because right. I assume... Well, I guess the Mr. Weston, Mrs. Weston doesn't really count as a proposal for us, but it happened. Yeah. <laughs> um, but she gets her proposal from Mr. Martin, and they're in the street. And I like the part where Emma is like, she's like, Mr. Martin? And she looks at the letter, and she's like, okay, I can't say it's a bad letter because it's a good letter. <laughs> like, I admit it's a good letter. <laughs> <laughs> so she's trying to make every excuse and then literally contradicting herself. She's like, well, maybe one of his sisters wrote it. And she's like, but the handwriting doesn't yeah. seem fem- feminine. I'm glad, I mean, that that's like the kind of thing that you're like, Emma, you're impossible, but I know your heart is in the right place because right. you aren't willing to lie to yourself. You know, you're, yeah. you might overlook something, but once you figure it out, you're like, okay, well, I mean, I can't just pretend like it's a bad letter. I know it's a good letter. I'm not going to do the injustice of, you know, right. being manipulative in that way. Right. And um, <clears throat> I, I personally think that Emma breaking or, discour- or stopping this proposal from happening is probably the worst thing she does. Yeah, I would say so. And I think it's probably the thing that at the end she feels the worst about. Yeah, you know. which I mean, but there's also at this point, like, in the end, they end up marrying each other oh, anyway, yeah. so it's like, <laughs> she doesn't really feel any sort of, like, real, like, bad about it. Like, I wouldn't say, like, she's not gonna be like, well, I ruined her life, or, you know what I mean? <laughs> well, I bet she would if she hadn't gotten married, though. <laughs> yeah, that's what I'm saying. It's like, they like, Harriet's no... gonna have to live with us. I'm sorry, Mr. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I screwed up her life, and I'm, I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah. Um, I have a question. Yes. In the books, is uh, Harriet, like, this easily manipulated and just like very i would say quote unquote clueless to what's going on really around her other than like the the, like direct actions of like proposal and rejection well i i it's you know i read i reread the books all the time and i rewatch all the adaptations all the time but it's hard for me to keep straight exactly you know is this from the book or is this but I will say that this particular version, I feel like Harriet is portrayed smarter than in most other versions. Really? I mean, she's still I under, I, like, she, naive yeah. and silly and dumb, but at least when it comes to like people mm-hmm. and how they are feeling, right. I feel like she really has a handle on that. Oh yeah, she's she's got great she's emotional intelligence. Yeah, exactly. And I think that's you know a credit to Tony Collette, really. I mean, I'll give all the credit to Cody Clark. <laughs> yeah, of course. <laughs> she's amazing. Okay, and then we have a great scene in which we have the archery scene with Mr. Knightley. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> which the setting for just makes me think of Florida for some reason. I think it's the pond and, like, the clear background. It and almost looks like there's palm trees in the background. <laughs> a little bit. <laughs> yeah, it does. Um, and personally, I really like her pink dress in this scene. I think it's very flattering and i love the little chain that holds it up uh-huh. it's like her outdoor walking chain i've never seen that on any of the on any thing like that before so i, was, no. I appreciated that um yeah the costumes i would say the costumes in sovi were really interesting because i would have assumed um that this would have taken place this adaptation maybe in like 
early 1900s because the dresses seem to be very minimal and seem to be more like functional rather than like ornate if that makes sense um, yeah you know I think at the time period that was kind of the aesthetic is to have very simple we wanted women to be very you know pliant and uh -huh. beautiful and they were always talking about wearing white and muslin and stuff like that um the biggest thing about this time period is the umpire waistline yeah that's in all the stuff but i think as we actually as we go on like in the victorian period things uh -huh. get even more like buttoned up and collared up and more okay, and more i i mean obviously like i'm not expecting like queen elizabeth and you know <laughs> what i mean like but i would have maybe expected something a little bit more like you know like more of like the, the the bodices and like the larger like bottom part of the gown but they seem to be very like i wouldn't almost like a little bit modernized versions of what we would think people at that time would wear compared to now. Well, like this version compared to say the, any of the BBC versions uh -huh. where they have just rows and rows and rows and racks and racks of costumes yeah. that are all like perfectly made for the time period or whatever. Yeah. Um, this one definitely has, you know, more flow. They didn't bring the waistlines down, which they do in some adaptations right. of Jane Austen, but, um, they definitely like the fabric on her shawls is so light mm -hmm. and some people wear bonnets i guess but you know there's not as much yeah. ruffles and lace it's all very simplistic there's no tucked in lace around the cleavage which is pretty not that she, Gwyneth needs it she doesn't have any boobs but right. <laughs> <laughs> well i just like i wrote in my notes that they don't really seem like noble women of that time because they're the clothes seem so plain if that makes sense mm. like i i feel like um i mean Emma doesn't seem like one to be like, well, I'm wealthy and these people are poor and I'm going to let, them, I'm going to remind them every yeah. day that I'm wealthy and they're poor. I would say Mrs. Elton has the best Yeah, which she's her, trying to come Yeah, even that like, way. He, like her costumes are probably the most ornate and like most dramatic out of all of them, but even they were still kind of like, I wouldn't say plain, but you know what I mean? Like more so like plain clothes of what I, I would expect normal, like status people at that time to wear those kind of dresses. And because the men seemed, spot on like they had very ornate like jackets and they were all like you know tucked in and prim and proper and had yeah. all their handkerchiefs <laughs> and you know whatever but it seems like the women were just and maybe it's just like a uh i don't know maybe like a tribute to like a feminist nod towards austin where like the dress is not important it's more about the relationships that they build and the actions that they commit yeah well i think yeah, I, I'm interested to see, like, what your take on the different adaptations, because uh -huh. they're all slightly different. I mean, once you get into some of the miniseries, there'll probably be some similarities between them more. But, um, yeah, I mean, I could definitely tell that this movie had a stamp on the costumes. Like, we're going for something. We're not just going for exact re reproductions of the time right. period. And also, it might be a budget issue. Uh I mean, it seems like they had plenty for costumes and set dressing, you know, that kind of thing. But Emma's definitely had the best costumes. There were some times yeah. where I'm like, why is Harriet in this brown flimsy <laughs> dress? <laughs> Probably the dress that was in a thousand others. Probably. <laughs> um, oh, so in this scene, while they're doing the archery, I love the way um, whenever you know, depending on what Emma is saying, like how true it is or how much she really believes it or how much right. she doesn't or how, you know, unjustifiably rude she's being. <laughs> you can see by where her arrow hits. The one thing I wish that they did was to show Mr. Knightley's arrow missing a few times because he's kind of a snob during the scene too. He's talking oh, sure. some real shit about Harriet and it's like, um, 
I don't think you really have the right yeah. to be so rude about Harriet. Yeah, it came off as like one of those things where rich people are like, you know, they're trying to be nice, but they're also equally being like, well, she's poor, so she should be with another poor person because that's her better chance. Not with Mr. Elton. He's garbage, but <laughs> he's still, you know, higher status. Yeah, he's like, oh, she's great. Until she he finds out about Mr. Martin, he's like, oh, she was beneath him anyway. And it's like... Well, I mean, hmm. was she? We don't <laughs> like, really know anything about her parents. I mean, he might have a lot of money, like a decent amount of money as a farmer, but he's, I wouldn't say farmers were very high status at that time period, unless they like owned giant farms and they were wealthy. Right. He didn't seem very wealthy to me. <laughs> no, I mean, I think, he, I mean, he's a he's Mr. Knightley's tenant, so, mm-hmm. and Mr. Knightley probably has the biggest house in the town. I would say so. I'm he guessing. seems the richest. So he's probably a pretty well-off farmer. Yeah, I mean, I, I would think say, it pretty yeah, much but... went gentry. So like anyone who's sired by a, a gentleman. Uh huh. Um, then we have like tradesmen uh-huh. and merchants, and then farmers, and then maybe servants. I don't really gotcha. know where servants fit exactly because servants weren't like super low at the time. Yeah, as I said, Even, they got to live in the you know, house. Poor and... people had servants, and yeah. So, <laughs> I'm not sure. We'll have, that's something to look into for future. Um, but yeah, there is a one point where he's talking some. He's being really rude about Harriet, where she's like, "Oh," and she makes a good point where she's like, "I thought that you know, beauty and stupidity is exactly what men looked for." And he's <laughs> like, "No, it's not." And I'm like, uh, <laughs> "I think." <laughs> that it probably is, but... <laughs> <laughs> I, say, I think the one thing that has not changed in the 200 years since this time period is that uh, men really don't care yeah, about Yeah, and that's when he should have missed, brain. when he was like, no. <laughs> exactly. Um, so then we, Mr. Elton has brought back the painting framed, and he's getting real giggly anytime Emma talks, and <laughs> it's real like, okay, get the, start getting the picture, Emma, because right. he is... Clearly. And then they have um, the charade, the puzzle, the little... Oh, the riddle. Where she's like, does it mean shark? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and actually, if you read the whole thing without thinking about it, uh-huh. I could see that, like, Monarch of the Seas, the Pomp and Court of Kings, you're like, I guess, a, a shark. shark? Yeah. <laughs> God, I, I just, like, even that whole thing later when we find out, he's like, well, I wrote the riddle to you. And she was like, but I didn't ask for it. Yeah. <laughs> She's like, I, I asked, asked you to write one for her. <laughs> yeah. Which also, it was like, why is Harriet writing a riddle book? Is she writing a riddle book? Because it doesn't seem like something that'd be up She's well, collecting riddles for her own little riddle book. I mean, uh, you know, there was no TV at the time. People I was had gonna to say, I guess they kinda <laughs> do just what they could. <laughs> filled their time with either trying to stay alive or... <laughs> I mean, there wasn't even radio. You literally had to have a piece ready to go for any social occasion like you oh. had to have a piece on the piano and a song ready which <laughs> is crazy can you imagine anytime you're invited to a party you just have to expect that someone is going to ask you to get up and play a song so, so you, you have to be, be like vocally ready do your vocal warm-ups and, exactly. <laughs> and piano fingers and we have one of my favorite lines um because harriet is asking uh why she never married and she said aren't you afraid you're going to end up like Miss Bates, uh-huh. a poor old maid, and she goes, it is only poverty that makes celibacy contemptible. A single woman of good fortune is always respectable. And I just love, <laughs> it's only poverty that makes celibacy contemptible. It's yeah. 
<laughs> well, I how old is Miss Bates supposed to be? Like, I was thinking maybe in like her late thirties, early forties. Is that right? Because um, I know Emma's twenty-two. I probably, you know, you're pretty much an old maid at twenty-six at the time. I was like, so I, yeah, because I was thinking, I was like, she also could. Be I mean, like Emma, I think it's supposed to be eighteen in the books. Okay, well, okay, so that makes more sense to me. I mean, not that twenty-two is much more they mature. They almost always age them up. Um, okay. In any adaptation, because <laughs> they're so young. I mean, uh-huh. maybe not in Pride and Prejudice, just because. But we'll get there. Right. But um, I think Emma is supposed to be eighteen in the books. I don't really remember, but I mean, that's even more awkward. Like eighteen-year-old getting with an almost forty-year-old. <laughs> uh, well, I mean, compared to that time, I'm sure <laughs> that was like. Not that he. I mean, he pulls it off. He does not. He's not creepy at look all. Way that much. Yeah, older he than her. looks young, and he's not creepy. So. Exactly. Um, did we already do, oh, oh, they, they go to the poor, which is funny. Yeah. Which is also a good moment for Emma, because you're like, because she really seems she to, goodwill. she's very sincere mm-hmm. in her trying to help them, and she doesn't seem like Harriet, who's like, oh, I can't, yeah. what do oh, I do? poor people, oh, oh, helping people, I can't do it. <laughs> and it's so funny when they meet with Elton, and she's like, Tell him what you did. And yeah. she's remembering, I knocked the basket off the wall. <laughs> <laughs> she's like, I dropped something on a cat. Sorry. Well, I what I had a question about that scene was he was walking around from some random corner after they had just walked past the entrance to his house. And he was like, well, I'm on my way to see, um, I can't remember what their names were, but like the poor people. And I was like, well, where were you? Were you really? Like, I just <laughs> distrusted him immediately. I was like, you're not even coming from your home. You live literally within yards from that's true the like dirt poor people <laughs> he's like, like i was i was yeah i was going to the poor people exactly too. i think it was like an attempt he was to just like going home and happened to run into them exactly that's what i think it was because he it was so weird that he lived literally within feet of like the dirt poor people and his mansion was right next door it was so yeah odd. i was actually wondering because i mean what i know from Delton Abbey at least um uh-huh. you know a rich person would have a big house, which was a, an estate, and that would employ a lot of people right. who took care of it. And I was wondering, are the poor people she's visiting, like, people from her estate, people who live on her estate? But then the vicarage could be a part of it. I, but then I'm, I guess Mr. Knightley really has the biggest house in town, so. Yeah, I was thinking because when we get to the poor people's house, it was just this old woman and, like, at least... 40 to 50 children running around <laughs> outside and inside. And I'm wondering if maybe these are like the family members of the servants in town and they're not allowed to live on property, but they can live on these like edge. I don't know. I don't know. It feels like. We'll have to do like an episode on um, the way society was. I mean, I know a time. little bit, but it's mainly all from Jane Austen adaptations, right. which is probably not. The it most just probably doesn't give you a good accurate. overview of everything that's going on. Right. What's, what? Um. What's the next scene where? Is the next scene where we get introduced to the baby? This baby that she's carrying. What is that scene? Is that next? Oh yeah, the baby scene is next. Yeah, there's like a little scene where she breaks her lace and is making this poor oh, kid yeah. be her chaperone. And she's like, "Slow down." And he's like, "No, you're the one walking with me." <laughs> he's like, "I'm poor. My family will die if I do not hurry yeah. up." And then we get. <laughs> very hastily introduced to her sister and brother-in-law who is the brother of Mr. Knightley so right her sister and his brother got together so and they're next door neighbors so that's why at the very beginning I think this is really funny the very beginning Mr. Knightley is like we're practically brother and sister 
And yeah. by the end, he's like, oh, we're not brother and sister. I don't know yeah, what you're talking she, about. Brother and she sister. She makes the same comment, and she's like, they are brother and sister. And he's like, no, we're not. <laughs> you literally said it in the first scene, Mr. Knightley. Exactly. <laughs> and then, she, yeah, so then she gets to meet the baby, who is actually named Emma after her, but oh. they never mention that in the I'd say, movie. I <laughs> she could not have told you what this baby you was. You barely even see her her sister or brother-in-law, and they're they're a pretty big part, honestly. I was going to say, book. it seems like uh, the main thing for the story around her dad was that he was sad that his daughter, and he didn't want his daughter to leave, his his last remaining daughter in the house. So it seems pretty weird that we didn't get to see any more of her family besides <laughs> just her and her dad. Yeah, they well, they come, I suppose, for Christmas. And, yeah, um, for, and we don't get to hear her talk. So. <laughs> yeah, I mean, she might say one line, but that's, I mean, we barely see her face. Yeah, um, but <laughs> this scene... This had the, probably the most insane psychotic line to me. And, like, this, like, I feel like this line was purpose, like, this would belong in a Christopher Guest movie because when she picks up the baby and her dad is like, be careful with the baby, it might have an infection. <laughs> this baby does not look sick. Like, it's ever been sick a day in its life. And it's like two months that it's been I know. alive. Most people would be like, be careful. You might give the baby an infection. Not the baby is just a giant Cessful. petri dish. Yeah. I'm like, um, what did you do with two small children in yeah. your house? <laughs> <laughs> the baby might have an infection. Stay away from me, Emma. You might have an infection. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I was like, what a wild thing to say about a child who was being raised in like the nobility, like a lower chance of getting sick. And <laughs> psychotic to me. I yeah. do not understand. <laughs> And that's all for today. We have decided for the longer movie versions, we're going to break up the episode into multiple parts, probably usually two, depending on the length of the movie, because we don't want to make you listen to several hours of us speaking every week. No, a two-hour podcast is excessive. So you'll get part one on the first week, and the next week you'll get part two. Yes. Um, plus, we don't have enough time in our lives to watch that many hours of television no, and movies. too much. We have jobs. <laughs> but we did want to add at the end some recommendations of other things that we are enjoying that we think you might enjoy as well. Um, I will say for this week, I am super excited that The Good Place is back on and it's final season and I can't wait to watch the whole thing. I watched the first episode. I believe the second so one good. just came out. Yes, it was so good. But I haven't had a chance to see it yet. <laughs> I love that show so much. I know. It's just so delightful. I The first season, I remember every time they would cut to commercial, I would laugh. So they're yeah, doing something that, right. That hard cut. <laughs> I just like how Jacksonville kind of gets a shout out through Jason. Oh, I, yeah. I just love Jason. I don't so think much. we ever mentioned that we are in Jacksonville, Florida. Oh, yeah. Jacksonville, Florida. <laughs> no longer Blake Bortles. <laughs> Duval. <laughs> yeah. Well, no, Duval. That's how you say it. <laughs> Um, what's your recommendation? My recommendation for this week, um, I mean, at this point, she's won, what, three Emmys for it. If you have not watched Fleabag, like, what are you doing? Like, go watch Fleabag. It is probably one of my most favorite things of all time I've ever seen. I think Phoebe Waller-Bridge is a genius. Season one's amazing. Season two is, like, perfect TV to me. I think she's amazing. I think the actress who plays her sister I uh, do not remember her name, but she's also amazing. Olivia Coleman's in it. Like, it's just like, you know, so oh, amazing. I know. That is one that I know that I will love, and I just haven't started because I just, there's so many things. But 
yeah. Yeah. I will definitely watch it now. You for, need for to, your, yeah. I know I'll like it. It's yeah. definitely it's up my just, alley. It's just so amazing. It started out as a one-woman show that she does live. She still does it live sometimes. Um, I'm dying to go see that, but <laughs> she it, the show is amazing, so watch it if you have I it. did watch Killing Eve. She does that, or she produces yeah she does yeah, okay. yeah i have not watched that yet yeah. so <laughs> i'll get on that all right and um if you would like to contact us yes our uh, our website um is, right now is manners and that should take you to our anchor page as of right now where the podcast you can listen to whatever you know the first episode yes um, which you're listening <laughs> to now duh um and our uh and it will have all the platforms the other platforms you can listen on right well. yeah so it'll be developed more into like informational stuff where you can keep up with where the podcast is and all that other good stuff <laughs> um and if you'd like to reach out to us about you know things that you think uh you would like to see in the podcast or any other sort of other comments or anything um our gmail is managers at gmail's Dot com. Our Insta is Manners and Madness Pod, and our Twitter is Manners Madness. Yes, and please subscribe and rate and review if you like us. <laughs> please. We're still early on, so I don't know how many bad reviews we can take, but. Yes, please. I, I just I... want a free cast for mattress, please. <laughs> I know that uh, the more ratings and reviews you get, the more chance you have of other people seeing your podcast. So yes. we would really appreciate it. Yes, please. And that's all for today. Thank you very much for joining us. Yes. See you soon. <laughs> Goodbye. <laughs>